Hello and welcome to this episode of Fortation's Life to Tape. This is a podcast dedicated to classic stories and historical literature from around the world. These episodes will be the audio version of our visual audio series. To view our visual audiobooks, please visit our YouTube channel, Live to Tape, or you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash live to tape. Feel free to visit our website, fotations.com, and view the landscape, aerial, and time-lapse photography there. This podcast is presented ad-free, however, we rely on support from our listeners to create this podcast and our extensive artwork collection. Expenses like media hosting, media storage, editing software, and hardware like computers, audio, and photography equipment runs into the thousands. Any donation amount helps, no matter how small or large, is greatly appreciated. Visit fotations.com donations for more information or email donations at fotations.com. Fine art photography is also available for purchase at fotationsstore.com. Prints are made to order and available in large and small formats, including canvas metallic prints, as well as traditional high-end photographic paper in standard sizes. Fotations and this podcast can also be supported through the Podcasting 2.0 method. Using a Podcasting 2.0 application like Sphinx Chat or Podverse, you can stream Satoshis, which is one millionth of a Bitcoin, as you listen to the podcast. You only donate as you listen to the episode, and the amount you set per minute is completely up to you. At this time, 1,844 Satoshis is about $1, and you can choose to stream one Satoshi a minute, or 100, or even 2,000. It's completely up to you. Another way to support this show is through word of mouth. Feel free to tell your friends or family about Fortations live to tape. Feel free to share on social media and support by following the Twitter at Fortations for photographic content and at live to tape for our visual audiobooks and podcast announcements. Thanks for choosing to listen to Flotations Live to Tape. Let's begin this audiobook. One eye, two eyes, three eyes. There was a mother who had three daughters. One was named One Eye. She only had one eye in the center of her forehead. The second child was named Two Eyes because she had two eyes. The youngest was named Three Eyes because she had three eyes. Two eyes looked normal, like everyone else, and this made her mother and sisters mad. They didn't like it that she was the normal one, and because they didn't like her, they told her that she was no better than anyone else, so she didn't belong to the family. They always pushed two eyes around. She never got new clothes, only the old clothes from her sisters. Two eyes never ate a meal with the other sisters or her mother. Instead, two eyes only got scraps of food after the meal was over. Two eyes' sister and mother did everything they could to make her life miserable. Two eyes also had to do most of the chores. One of these was to take the goats out into the field. She was always hungry when she went out into the field, and one day it was just too much. She fell to the ground and began to cry. When she looked up, she saw a woman standing next to her. 
The woman asked Two Eyes why she was crying, and Two Eyes told her that it was because she had two eyes. Her mother and sisters hated her and treated her very bad. She told the woman that her sister only fed her scraps and that they pushed her around and that they would only give her their old clothes. Then she told the woman that she was starving for food. The woman listened to all this and told Two Eyes to dry her tears and that she had a solution for Two Eyes that the solution would keep two eyes from ever being hungry again. The woman told two eyes to tell the goat, A little goat, if you are able, pray deck out my table. Then a table will appear filled with the best of foods. The woman told two eyes that she could eat as much as she liked, but when she was finished with the food, make sure to tell the goat, Little goat, when you are able, remove my nice table. Then the table will disappear. After telling Two Eyes all of this, the woman turned and walked away. Two Eyes was very hungry at the time, so as soon as the woman left, she told the goat, Little goat, when you are able, pray deck out my table. After the words left her mouth, a beautiful table appeared filled with the most appetizing of food, all as if freshly cooked and still hot. She took a moment to thank God, and then began to eat. She tasted and ate everything, and when she was done, she turned to the goat and told it, Little goat, when you are able, remove my nice table. In the next moment, the table and all its contents disappeared. Two eyes then went home because it had gotten quite late. When she arrived outside the door, there was an old dirty plate with a few scraps on it for her to eat. Two eyes being full, left the scraps alone. She didn't want to touch them after her nice meal. The next morning, she woke up and went to visit her goat, leaving behind the breakfast scraps her family left for her. At first, her family didn't notice. Later, however, they began to notice that Two Eyes was not eating the scraps. They thought that there must be something funny going on, that Two Eyes was obviously getting her food from somewhere, and they wanted to know where. The next day, Two Eyes went to go take care of the goat. Her sister, One Eye, told her that she would be joining her. Two Eyes knew that her sister, One Eye, was trying to spy on her to figure out where she was getting her food from. Two Eyes took One Eye on a long walk until they were far from their house. One Eye, not used to walking so much, was very tired. That's when Two Eyes turned to One Eye and told her to sit, and that Two Eyes would sing to her. Two eyes sang for a bit, and one eye fell deep asleep in the hot sun. Once two eyes saw that one eye was safely asleep, she went to her goat and told it, Little goat, when you are able, come and deck my table. Just like before, the table full of the best foods appeared, and two eyes ate until she was full. When she was done, she told the goat, Little goat, when you are able, come and clear away my table. And all of a sudden the table was gone, with no evidence that it had been there at all. Two eyes then went to go wake up one eye, and told her that it was time to go home. After they got home, one eye and her family ate dinner, again without two eyes. Again they gave her the scraps to two eyes, and again two eyes didn't eat them. 
The family wondered why Two Eyes wasn't eating her scraps, so they turned to ask One Eye if Two Eyes had been eating in the field. One Eye said that she didn't know, because while they were out there, An Eye fell asleep. The next day, the mother, who was wondering where Two Eyes was eating, sent Three Eyes to go out with her into the field. Two Eyes and Three Eyes went out into the field to take care of their goats, and again Two Eyes knew that Three Eyes was sent to spy on her, to find her source of food. So Two Eyes again took Three Eyes and the goat on a long walk. Then Two Eyes told Three Eyes that it was time to rest. So they sat in the long grass. Three Eyes, being tired, fell asleep with two of her eyes, but the third eye stayed awake, pretending to be asleep. Two Eyes had no idea Three Eyes was faking being asleep. Two Eyes called the goat and did her routine. The food came, she ate, and then she told the goat to take the food away. Three Eyes saw all of this. Once Two Eyes was finished, she came to wake up Three Eyes, and Three Eyes pretended to wake up from sleeping. They made it home in time for dinner. The family ate again without Two Eyes, and then gave her scraps from the meal. Again, Two Eyes didn't touch them and went to bed. While Two Eyes was away, Three Eyes told her mother that she knew why Two Eyes wasn't eating. Three Eyes told the mother of the magic table brought by the goat that the food it brought was better than anything the family was eating. This made the mother furious. She went to wake Two Eyes and yell at her, asked who Two Eyes thought she was, that she could eat better food than the rest of them. The mother was so angry that she ran out of the house with a knife and stabbed the goat straight in the heart. The goat died instantly. Two eyes saw this and ran into the field and fell into the long grass and began to cry uncontrollably. Two eyes, still crying, looked up, and to her surprise, the woman was standing there, looking at her. Once they made eye contact, the woman asked Two Eyes why she was crying. Two Eyes told her the whole story, that Three Eyes followed her and betrayed her, that her mother killed the goat. Now Two Eyes would go back to her days of starving and only eating scraps again. The woman listened to all of this, and once Two Eyes was finished, replied. The woman told Two Eyes that she needs to ask her sister for the dead goat. When she has the goat, she needs to take the innards of the goat and bury them into the ground in front of the house door. Two Eyes thanked her and made her way back home. Two Eyes made it home and turned to her sister and asked for the dead goat's innards. The sister laughed and told her that she could have them and that nobody wanted them. So Two Eyes took them and buried them into the ground at the front door. The next morning, when the family all woke up, they found at the door a giant tree. This was no ordinary tree. It had leaves of silver and apples of gold. There was nothing in the world that was as beautiful as the tree, and the value was priceless. None of the family members knew where this tree came from, except for two eyes. Two eyes knew that this tree came from the goat she buried. The mother and the other two daughters wanted the apples. 
the mother told One-Eye to fetch the apple. One-Eye climbed the tree, but whenever she got close to an apple, the branch would swing away. One-Eye wasn't able to get a single apple. They all moved out of reach as she went to grab them. Then the mother told Three-Eyes that she should grab the apple. Again, Three-Eyes climbed the tree again. Every time she got close to the branch, with an apple on it, the tree would swing away. Three eyes had no better luck than one eye. Tired, three eyes climbed down, having received no golden apples. Two eyes then climbed the tree. As she got close to the branch, instead of swinging away, the branch came closer to her and dropped an apple into her outstretched hand. Again and again, two eyes would reach for a golden apple, and the tree would give it to her. Holding all her apples, two eyes climbed down the tree. The mother took all the apples and gave them to three eyes and one eye. The mother didn't let two eyes keep any apples for herself. While the family were all standing around the tree, a knight was riding past on a horse. The family saw that the knight was a handsome man. The knight asked the family who this tree belonged to. Three eyes and one eye told the knight that the tree was theirs. The knight then told them that whoever had a single branch could have anything they wanted in the world. The knight then asked if he could have a branch. Three eyes and one eye tried to snap off a branch, but as with the apples, the branch would move out of reach and they were unable to get any. The knight, disappointed, looked around and then saw two eyes. The knight asked her if maybe she could reach the branch. Two eyes replied that she could, because the tree belonged to her. Two eyes climbed up the tree and snapped off a branch. The branch was full of silver leaves and a few apples. She gave it to the knight. The knight, grateful for the branch, turned to two eyes and asked what she would like in return. The truth came out from two eyes. Two eyes told the knight, that she was suffering. Her family only fed her scraps, and she was always sad, hungry, and thirsty. Two eyes told the knight that if he could release her and take her with him, that she would be very happy. With that, the knight took two eyes on his horse, and the knight and two eyes rode away. The knight took two eyes to his father's home, who was the king. Once there, two eyes was given the best clothes she had the best food and drink. Two eyes and the knight fell deeply in love and eventually married each other. When Two Eyes' family saw her carried away, they were very happy, not for Two Eyes to have a better life, but because they thought the priceless tree now belonged to them. But the next day, when the family awoke, the tree was gone. Instead, in the castle, Two Eyes woke up to find the tree with her. The tree had followed her to her new home. Two Eyes lived a long, happy life. She never heard from her sisters or mother again, not until two poor women came to the castle to beg for money. Two Eyes saw them, and as she was reaching to give them some coins, she realized that they were her sisters. Two Eyes took her sisters in and promised to take good care of them. The sisters, filled with grief at how badly they treated Two eyes in their youth 
apologized for their actions. Two Eyes accepted their apology. She knew it was true, and together the three sisters lived happily to the end of their days. Magic Mirror It was winter as the snow fell from the sky. Sitting outside, the queen was busy knitting. As she continued working on, she noticed how the snow sparkled and caught the light. Then, one of the knitting needles pricked her finger and a few drops of blood fell onto the snow. When the queen looked down onto the blood on the snow, she thought how she wished she had a child. She thought to herself that she would like it to be as fair as snow, lips red as the blood, and hair and eyes as black as ebony. Time passed and the queen gave birth to a daughter. The daughter was very fair, had rose-like hips, had hair and eyes as dark as ebony. But soon after the queen gave birth, the queen died. The child was given the name of Snow White. A year after the queen died, the king took another wife. The new wife was very beautiful and very proud of it. She would not tolerate anyone that was more beautiful than her. Every day she would go and look in the mirror and ask it if she was the most beautiful of all. Every day the mirror would reply that she was so beautiful that no one could compare. This pleased the new queen because she knew that the mirror could not lie. So what it said was the truth. Time went on, and as it did, Snow White grew up. Every day that Snow White grew, she became more and more beautiful. Once Snow White reached the age of seven, people began to talk about how beautiful she would be when she grew up. One day, the new queen was in front of the mirror and asked who was the most beautiful person. But this time, the mirror had a different reply. The mirror told the queen that Snow White will be a thousand times more beautiful than her. Upon hearing this, the new queen was enraged. Every day the anger grew in the new queen's heart and mind, until one day she sent for a hunter. She told the hunter that she wanted him to get rid of Snow White and kill her. The new queen told the hunter that she wanted proof that Snow White was dead, and when it was done, she would pay him a great deal of money. The hunter went on his mission. He found Snow White and tricked her to come with him into the forest. Deep into the forest, the hunter pulled out his knife to stab Snow White in the heart. Snow White turned towards the hunter and looked into his eyes. She begged the hunter to let her live and that she would go deeper into the forest and promised she would never be seen again. The hunter could not kill her, so he let her go. Snow White thanked him and took off. Out of sight. The hunter was sure that Snow White would not survive in the forest, but he was glad that he was not the one to kill her. In order to trick the new queen that he had killed Snow White, he killed a deer and took the heart. The hunter presented the deer's heart to the new queen and told her that Snow White was dead and that this was her heart. The new queen was overjoyed that Snow White was dead. Snow White was terrified as she ran through the forest. Wild beasts would jump out at her, but once they saw her, they would not attack. Instead, they would let her pass. She ran until she could run no further. 
She stopped to look around, and that's when she found a small house. Seeking shelter, she went inside. It was very small, but very clean. The table was set for dinner, with seven plates and seven sets of silverware. At the wall, there were seven small beds, each covered with a small quilt. As she looked around, she found that nobody was home. She was so hungry and tired that she took some vegetables and bread, and then fell asleep on the bed. Darkness had fallen, and that's when the owners of the house came home. They were all dwarfs who were coming home from the mountains, where they were digging for gems and crystals. Once they were in the house, they went to turn on the light. They noticed right away that somebody had been in their house. They went to look at their beds, and that's when they found Snow White asleep. They all looked at each other, and they whispered at how beautiful a child she was. They were so delighted that they decided not to wake her. In the morning, Snow White woke up, and she was alarmed to see the doors in the house. They told her not to worry, and Snow White calmed down. The dwarves asked Snow White how she got there, and she told them. She told them about the new queen, about the hunter, and about how he let her go. After hearing all this, the dwarves went to talk to each other. They came up with a solution and came back to Snow White. They asked Snow White if she could consider being their housekeeper to cook and clean and make clothes for them. Snow White told them that she could do that, and the dwarves told her that she could stay in the house and live with them, that no harm would come to her. Every day the dwarves would get ready to go to work, but each time before they left, they would turn to Snow White and tell her that she needed to be careful. The dwarves feared that while she was home alone, she would be in danger. They told Snow White that she should never let anyone into the house. The new queen, confident that she had had Snow White killed, turned to her mirror and asked who was the most beautiful person. To her anger, the mirror told her that she was the most beautiful person in the city, but over in the mountains, there was Snow White, who was a thousand times more beautiful than her. The queen, enraged again, knew the mirror was telling the truth, and because of this, the hunter must have lied. The queen came up with a plan to dress as an old woman and whiten her hair. She went deep into the forest and found the dwarves' home up in the mountains. The new queen, disguised, knocked on the door. The queen was holding a basket of jewelry to sell. Snow White answered the door and asked the woman what she wanted. The disguised queen told her that she had the most beautiful jewelry to sell her. Snow White looked at the woman and thought to herself the woman looked very kind, so Snow White led her into the house. Snow White bought some jewelry and a silk corset. The disguised woman told Snow White that she would show her how to wear the corset. Snow White put the corset on and the queen tied it up so fast and tight that Snow White could not breathe. Snow White fell to the ground and the queen, assuming Snow White was dead, rushed out of the house and returned to her castle in the city. Not long after the queen left, the dwarves came back home to find Snow White on the floor, not breathing. 
The dwarves lifted Snow White out, and that's when they found the problem. Immediately they loosened the corset, and Snow White began to breathe a little. After some time passed, Snow White came too. Once Snow White was fully awake, she told the dwarves what had happened. The dwarves figured it out and told Snow White that the old woman was actually her stepmother, the new queen. Once the new queen was home in her castle, she went to her mirror. The new queen asked the mirror if she was the most beautiful woman. The mirror replied that she was the most beautiful in the city, but Snow White in the mountains was a thousand times more beautiful than her. The new queen hearing this was so terrified and angry that Snow White was still alive made up her mind that she would kill Snow White again. The queen had some magic skills and she used them to make a magic poisoned comb. Whoever brushed their hair with this comb would die. Armed with this comb, the new queen made a new disguise and went back out into the forest and into the mountains. It wasn't long before she found the house of the dwarves. The disguised queen, walking around the house, started to call out that she had goods to sell. Snow White told her to go away. Then the queen told her that she could have the comb for free if she liked. Snow White could not resist, so she let the disguised queen in, and the queen began to comb Snow White's hair. As soon as the comb touched Snow White's head, she fell down to the ground with the comb still in her hair. The disguised queen laughed and jumped up and left the house, making it all the way back into the city and into her castle. The dwarves came back home, and that's when they found Snow White on the ground. They pulled the poison comb out of Snow White's hair, and slowly she came back to life. Again, Snow White told the dwarves what had happened, and again, the dwarves told Snow White that the woman was the queen in disguise, that she should never let anyone into the house while she's alone. Once the new queen was back in her castle, she went up to her room and turned to her mirror. Again, she asked who was the most beautiful person, and again the mirror replied that she was the most beautiful person in the city, but out in the mountains, Snow White was still a thousand times more beautiful than her. The new queen began to shake with rage and fury. The new queen made a vow that she would be the one to kill Snow White, even if it killed her in the process. With a new plan, the queen dressed in a different disguise. This time she took an apple and poisoned it. This was no ordinary apple. This was the most beautiful, most enticing apple ever. It would be difficult for anyone to resist eating it. So armed with this apple, the new queen left the castle and went into the forest and made her way into the mountain. The disguised queen found the dwarves home and knocked on the door. Snow White yelled through the window that she would not let the woman in and told her that it was because the dwarves said she could not trust anyone. The disguised queen told Snow White that she was here to sell apples and that she could try one for free. Snow White was still suspicious. The disguised queen knew this and showed her the poisoned apple and pretended to take a bite out of it. Snow White, now trusting the disguised queen, accepted this sample poisoned apple and took a bite out of it. Snow White's face turned to horror and then she fell on the ground, dead. The queen, laughing, 
returned to her castle, ran to her room, then turned to the mirror and asked it who was the most beautiful person of all. The mirror replied that the new queen was the most beautiful person and that there was no one as beautiful as her. Finally, the new queen could rest easy. The dwarves soon returned to their home, and that's when they found Snow White on the ground. They knew this time that Snow White was dead for sure because she was not breathing and showed no signs of life. They tried everything they knew to bring her back to life, but nothing worked. The dwarves laid her on the table and cried and mourned for days. On the third day of mourning, they noticed that Snow White's appearance had not changed. So they decided that they would not bury such a beautiful person in the ground. They decided to make a coffin made out of glass, and it would sit at the side of the mountain. They created a letter saying here was a daughter of a king. All the birds and beasts came out and mourned the death of Snow White, and as time went on, her appearance still did not change, until one day a prince of a king was riding through the forest by the mountain. The prince found Snow White's coffin with transparent glass. He read the letter, then went to the dwarfs. The prince told the dwarfs that if they let him have the coffin with Snow White, that he would give them whatever they asked for. The dwarfs replied that they would not give the prince Snow White for all the gold in the world. Then the prince replied, asking instead to have Snow White as a gift. He would have her honored in his home. The prince also went on to say that he had a feeling as though he had been drawn to Snow White. The dwarves talked it over, and they decided that they would give Snow White to the prince. With that, the prince left the dwarves. The prince returned to Snow White with a crew to carry the coffin back to his castle. As they went to lift the coffin, a piece of the poisoned apple that was still in Snow White's mouth fell out. As soon as it did, Snow White woke up and sat up, now alive. Snow White asked where she was, and the prince, overjoyed, told her the whole story. Snow White went with the prince, and when they returned to his home, the king was so happy for his son and Snow White that he told her, she was safe with them. The prince and Snow White decided to get married. There was to be a large feast to celebrate the marriage of the prince and Snow White, and it happened that the stepmother, the new queen, was invited. The new queen was excited for the party and turned to her mirror and asked who was the most beautiful person of all. This time, the mirror told the queen that she was the most beautiful in her city but the bride would be a thousand times more beautiful than her. Angry, the new queen went to the feast, and upon seeing that the bride was Snow White, and how beautiful she now looked as an adult, was enraged. The new queen danced as she tried to figure out how to kill Snow White. The new queen danced all night, not figuring out a way to kill Snow White, until all of a sudden the new queen dropped dead. From dancing too long. The Stag There was a family of four, the parents and two children. One child was a boy and the other a girl. 
the brother and sister loved each other very much. Then one day, the mother died. The father took a new wife. The new wife didn't like the two children, and so the wife made their lives very bad. The new wife would only give them old scraps to eat, hit them, and threaten to throw them out of the house, and never let them in again. This all proved to be too much, so one day the brother turned to his sister and told her to come with him, that they together would leave the house and never return. The sister agreed, and they ran as far as they could. They passed hills and fields. They spent the whole day running to get as far away from their old home as possible. They found their way into a large forest, and as they entered it, it began to rain. They thought to themselves that even the world around them was just as sad as them. Tired and hungry, the two siblings crawled into a hollow tree, and there they fell asleep until morning. The next day they woke up, and they were very thirsty, so they made their way into the forest in search of water. They went deeper into the forest until the brother realized that he could hear the sound of a river or brook. It turned out that the new wife, the children's evil stepmother, also turned out to be an evil witch. The whole time she knew the children were running away. As they ran further and further from home, she followed them at a distance so that they would not see her. When she saw the children go into the forest, she placed a spell on the river and brooks. Just as the brother found the small brook with water streaming past, the sister told him to wait. Just before the brother took a drink, the sister heard the water singing, Take a drink of me, and a tiger soon will be. The sister told the brother, and they left the brook in the forest. The brother and the sister decided to go look for a new source of water. After walking for what felt like a long time, the two siblings came to another brook. This brook was also singing, Take a drink from me, and a wolf you will be. Again, the sister told the brother not to drink, that this one would turn him into a wolf, and as a wolf, he would eat her. The two continued in their search for water, but the brother's thirst grew stronger and stronger. Then they found a small river, and the brother ran to drink from it. The sister again heard the river singing, this time saying, Whoever drinks from me, a stag you will be. The sister tried to warn the brother, but she was too late. The brother already took a drink from the river. Where her brother once stood was now a stag. He had been transformed into a deer. When the sister saw what had happened, she cried for hours. The entire time the stag stayed with her, and the brother stag cried with her. After some time had passed, the sister told the brother stag that she would take care of him and that she would never leave him. Together they wandered around the forest until they found a hut. They were both very happy for the shelter. They made it their home. Every day the sister would go out and hunt and search for food from the forest. The brother stag would follow and eat the food she offered him out of her hands. The two would play together during the day and return home to their hut. Time went on and the sister grew into a maiden and the brother stag grew into an adult. Until one day the sound of a horn and dogs barking was heard by the stag. 
The stag asked the sister to let him join the hunt. The sister told him that she would not let him in unless he tells her it's him. She would not let those huntsmen in. The brother stag ran off, and it wasn't long before the huntsman party spotted him. The hunters began to chase him. The hunters caught up with the brother stag and were about to shoot him when the stag made a dash and left them in the dust. The stag returned to the hut and spoke to the door. Sister, let me in. The sister instantly let the brother in. Several days later, the huntsmen were back in the forest on the hunt. Again, the horns called and the dogs barked. Again, the brother stag begged the sister to let him go. The sister told him that when he returned, he had to tell her that it was him. The brother stag went to join the hunt and led the huntsmen on a wild chase, but this time they were able to shoot and wound his foot. Still, the brother stag was able to get away. However, the huntsmen were able to follow the stag to the hut where his sister stayed, waiting for him. They saw and heard the stag tell the sister it was him, and they watched as she let him in. It just so happened that the king was with the hunting party, and he told them that he would have one more hunt to understand what was happening. The sister was alarmed at the wound her brother Stag had. She cleaned the wound and set healing herbs and wrapped it tight. She told her brother to lay and to sleep, that the wound would soon heal. The next day the horn sound was heard, and the dogs barking again. This time the stag stood to leave, but his sister begged him not to go. The stag said he must go, that it was his purpose to run in the hunt, and with that he left. The brother stag did not worry, for his foot was healed, good as new. The hunt went on, but the king told the huntsmen just to follow the deer. They would chase it, but not shoot it. The day went on with the huntsman chasing the stag, until the brother stag became tired. The huntsman left the stag and went to the hut where the sister stayed waiting for her brother to return. The king walked up to the door and said, Dear little sister, let me in. The sister was frightened when she saw it was not her brother, but the king and sister talked. The king thought she was the most beautiful person he had ever met. He asked her to come with him to marry. The sister said yes, but she had a condition that her brother Stag had to come with her wherever they went. The king was happy and agreed to this. Then the brother Stag came running into the hut, and the three of them went to the king's kingdom. The sister married the king and became queen, and the Stag lived a good life, until word spread of their happiness. The evil witch stepmother assumed that the brother and sister had died in the forest. Now knowing that they lived a happy life, infuriated the witch. So the witch took her ugly daughter and went into the kingdom. They pretended to be a nurse. It just so happened that the queen gave birth to a child. The witch and the daughter locked up the queen. The witch tried to strangle the queen, but the queen escaped. The entire time this was happening, the ugly daughter was pretending to be the queen in the queen's bed. The witch's daughter pretended to be the queen, not talking to the king as the nurse which tried to convince the king that this was indeed the queen he was married to. The king, not believing this, watched the nursery at night to see who would come to feed their child. In the middle of the night, the real queen would sneak into the nursery to feed their child. 
and it was while she was doing this that the king found her. The king told her, You are the most beautiful as ever, and you are the real queen. It turned out that the witch had put a spell on the queen that made her forget who she was. But the moment the king hugged her, the spell lifted. The queen told the king how bad the stepmother, the witch, had treated her, and the king sent the witch and her daughter to court. The courts decided that the witch should die by being burnt alive, and the daughter to be devoured by beasts. Once the witch died and was reduced to ash, the queen's brother, the stag, was transformed back into a human. Together, the brother and sister lived happily to the end of their days. Deep in one of the largest and richest cities in China, a tailor named Mustafa lived. Mustafa was a very poor and could barely take care of his wife and son. Mustafa's son's name was Aladdin. Aladdin was a problem and a handful. He was very careless and did little to no work. He would leave the house early in the morning and stay in the city and play with other children. His parents decided that he was old enough to learn how to work and make money. Mustafa took his son and tried to teach him how to be a tailor like himself. Mustafa tried for days to teach his son. Every time Mustafa looked away, Aladdin would take off and run back to the city to play with the other children. Day after day this happened until Mustafa finally gave up. This still bothered Mustafa and because of this he grew stressed then sick and a few months later he died. Without his father, Aladdin took to the streets even more. He was never away from his friends and rarely came home. One day, while Aladdin was playing in the streets, a stranger stood and watched them. This was no ordinary stranger, however. He was a sorcerer. People referred to him as the African magician. As the sorcerer watched Aladdin, he grew pleased. He knew that Aladdin was the one to help him with his goal. The sorcerer went up to Aladdin and asked him if his father was indeed Mustafa. Aladdin replied that it was indeed his father, but he also told him that he had been dead for a while. When the sorcerer heard this, he threw his hands around Aladdin and pretended to cry. He told Aladdin that he, the sorcerer, was his uncle, Mustafa's brother. With that, the sorcerer gave Aladdin a handful of coins and told him to go to give it to his mother and to tell her that he would be visiting the next day. Aladdin was very happy with all this money. He ran home to give it to his mother. Aladdin told the whole story to his mother. His mother, however, told him that his father had no brother and that he, Aladdin, did not have an uncle. Aladdin was playing outside the next day and again the sorcerer found him. This time the sorcerer went right up to him and gave him two coins and told him to give it to his mother so she could prepare a meal. The sorcerer told Aladdin that he would be visiting them tonight for dinner. Then the sorcerer asked Aladdin to show him what house he lived in so he could find his way there for dinner. Aladdin showed the sorcerer his house, and the sorcerer left. Then Aladdin went to his mother and gave her the coins and told her that the uncle would be coming for dinner. Aladdin's mother went to work, preparing dinner. Just when Aladdin's mother was finished, a knock came from the door. It was the sorcerer holding fruits and wine. Once the sorcerer set everything down, 
He had asked Aladdin's mother where Mustafa used to sit on the sofa. The mother showed him, and when she did, the sorcerer fell to the ground and kissed the spot several times. The whole time, with tears in his eyes, saying how he was sorry that he was not able to come before Mustafa had died. The mother told him to sit there, but the sorcerer refused. He didn't want to sit in the same place where the master of the house sat. During the dinner, he talked to Aladdin's mother. He told her not to be surprised that she didn't know him. The sorcerer told her that he had been gone from this country for 40 years, and that during that time, he had been traveling through Persia, Arabia, Syria, Egypt, and finally deep within Africa. Aladdin's mother began to cry as she remembered her husband, and that's when the sorcerer took it to start a conversation with Aladdin. The sorcerer asked Aladdin what he did for work. Aladdin was ashamed, and his mother told the sorcerer that Aladdin did not work and only played in the city. The mother told the sorcerer that Mustafa tried to teach Aladdin, but Aladdin never listened. She then said if Aladdin continued in his ways, that she would have no choice but to force him out of the house for good. This final statement made her cry even more. The sorcerer turned to Aladdin and told him that Aladdin himself must take care of himself, that he must get a livelihood. He may not like his father's trade, but there are other jobs out there. The sorcerer then told Aladdin that he would create a shop with the finest of things, and it would be Aladdin's job to sell them. Aladdin liked this idea because he thought it would be easy work, so he agreed to it. Aladdin thanked the sorcerer for his kindness, and the sorcerer told him that he would come back tomorrow in order to get Aladdin new clothes, and they would set up a shop. After hearing all of this, Aladdin's mother was sure that the sorcerer was indeed Aladdin's uncle. With that, the dinner was over, and the sorcerer left the house. The next day, the sorcerer came to Aladdin's house and took him shopping. After Aladdin was newly dressed, the sorcerer took him to the mosques and inn, and then to the sultan's palace. They traveled until nightfall. The sorcerer then took Aladdin home, and when his mother saw how much Aladdin had changed, she was so happy that she began to cry. The next day, the sorcerer came to Aladdin's home. This time, the sorcerer took him to the country. They went from palace to palace and explored the public gardens. At each palace, the sorcerer asked Aladdin if he thought this was a grand palace. Each time Aladdin would respond, saying it was the most beautiful place he had ever seen. Each palace looked better than the last. The sorcerer had a plan, and he needed to take Aladdin deeper into the country. They took a small break where the sorcerer pulled out some food, and together they had lunch. Once they were finished... They continued on through the country until they made it into the mountains. In the mountain, the sorcerer told Aladdin that he must find dry sticks and logs. Once Aladdin brought it all back, the sorcerer created the fire. The sorcerer placed incense and started to speak several magical spells that Aladdin could not understand. Then all of a sudden the earth opened up and a stone with a brass ring was revealed. Aladdin was so frightened that he began to run away, but the sorcerer grabbed him and hit him on the ear. The sorcerer told Aladdin that he was his uncle and took the place of his father and that he would be telling Aladdin what to do. Then the sorcerer told Aladdin that there was a small task he had to do, but he had to do exactly what 
as he said. The sorcerer explained that only Aladdin was permitted in the stone doorway. If Aladdin did what he was told, he would have the riches beyond his wildest dreams. Aladdin liked what he heard and told the sorcerer to tell him what he had to do. The sorcerer told Aladdin that he had to take the brass ring and open the stone door. Then the sorcerer gave Aladdin his ring. Aladdin didn't believe that he was strong enough to move the door, but the sorcerer told him that he alone had to accomplish these tasks. With that, Aladdin reached for the brass ring and pulled on it. To Aladdin's surprise, the door opened with ease, and then it was revealed that there was a staircase going deep into the mountains. The sorcerer then gave Aladdin new instructions. The sorcerer told him that he had to walk down to the first room. He would have to walk through it without touching the walls. If he touched the walls, then he would die instantly. Then he would come to a second room, filled with a fruit tree. Then he would enter a third room, and in this room there would be a pedestal. On this pedestal there would be a lit lamp. He was to remove the lamp and blow out the flame, then dump the fluid out of the lamp. Then bring the lamp back through the three rooms and come back to the sorcerer. Aladdin understood and followed all these steps. Just when Aladdin was about to leave, he saw that the fruit tree was not filled with fruit, but the tree was filled with diamonds, jewels, and sapphires. Aladdin took as many as he could to give to the sorcerer. He did not know the value of these stones. Aladdin, filled with jewels and the lamp, climbed back up the stairs to leave the mountain. However, Aladdin could not get through the doorway, so he asked for the sorcerer's help. The sorcerer insisted on having Aladdin give him the lamp first. Then he would help Aladdin out of the doorway. Aladdin could not reach the lamp with everything he was carrying, so he told the sorcerer to help him through the doorway. Then he would give the sorcerer the lamp. Upon hearing this, the sorcerer became angry and added more incense to the fire and muttered two spells. And with that, the passageway closed and Aladdin was trapped in the mountain. In this action, Aladdin knew that the sorcerer was not his uncle, and it was all a lie. The sorcerer had been studying the tales of the lamp, and learned that the lamp could only be removed by someone who was innocent. Then the lamp could only transfer ownership if that person gave the lamp freely. When Aladdin told the sorcerer no, the sorcerer knew that the lamp could not be given to him. So with that, the sorcerer left Aladdin inside the mountain. This being the whole reason the sorcerer came to China, took his things, and traveled back to Africa. Aladdin, stuck inside the mountain, was upset and fearful. He knew that he would die in the mountain. He went back to the room with the walls that when touched would kill. Aladdin prayed for a quick death and put his hands together, and then a genie erupted from the ring the sorcerer gave him. The genie told Aladdin that he would serve anyone who possessed the ring and would grant them a wish. Aladdin, having been so afraid, could not feel any worse, so he was not afraid of this genie of the ring. Aladdin cried that he would like to be home with his mother. Instantly after saying this, Aladdin was in his home and his mother came to him crying. She thought she would never see him again. Aladdin told his mother the whole story and how the uncle was really an evil sorcerer 
and how he was stuck in a cave. Aladdin was so hungry and tired that he ate all the food in the home and then fell asleep. The next day, Aladdin woke up and was still starving. He went to his mother and asked for breakfast. His mother told him that there was no more food in the house and that he ate it all the night before. Then the mother told him that she would go to the market and sell some cotton. Then they would have enough to buy some food. Aladdin told her to save her cotton and that he would sell the lamp he had brought back. Aladdin's mother found the lamp and told Aladdin that it was very dirty and that she would clean it. She began to clean it with water and a cloth, and that's when the genie erupted from the lamp. Aladdin's mother fainted at the sight of the genie, but Aladdin, familiar with the genies, grabbed the lamp from his mother and told the genie that he was hungry and he wanted some food. The genie disappeared and then came back with silver trays filled with the most delicious of food. The genie set the food down and disappeared. Then Aladdin's mother woke up from her fainting spell. Aladdin showed her the food and told her that together they would eat until they were full. Aladdin's mother wanted to know where the food came from. They had so much she thought it might be a gift from the sultan. When they finished breakfast, they saved the food for dinner. When they finished dinner, they realized that they still had food for at least two more days. Aladdin told his mother that it was the genie that had brought them all this food on these silver platters. When the mother heard all this, she demanded that they sell the lamp. She worried that the genie would be a spirit of evil and that she wanted nothing to do with it. Aladdin told her that if the sorcerer wanted it so badly, and if it wasn't for the genie he'd be stuck inside the mountain, that it could not be all bad. Aladdin told his mother that they could have use for the genie and it could make their lives better. He convinced his mother to let him keep the lamp and the genie, but the mother told Aladdin that she never wanted to see the lamp again. Two days later, after they finished all the food that the genie had brought them, Aladdin was worried where the next meal would come from. Aladdin took one of the silver platters and went to the city into the shops. He took it to a merchant and told the merchant that he wished to sell the silver platter. The merchant, seeing that it was the best quality of silver, asked Aladdin how much he wanted for it, and Aladdin told the merchant that he would trust his judgment. The merchant knew that this meant Aladdin did not know the true value of the platter, so the merchant gave Aladdin a gold coin, which was only a sixteenth of the value of the platter, and Aladdin took it happily. Aladdin would repeat this mistake with all the rest of the platters the genie brought. Eighteen times Aladdin brought the silver platters to the merchant, and each time the merchant would only give a fraction of the value. This continued until Aladdin ran out of silver to sell. Aladdin then called the genie and asked him to deliver food to their home. The genie was off in a second and then came back, filled with silver shades of food. Aladdin and his mother ate the food off the plates, and then he went to sell the silver platter. While Aladdin was walking to the merchant, he passed a goldsmith's stand. The goldsmith called Aladdin and told him that he often sees Aladdin go to the merchant to sell his silver. Then the goldsmith warned Aladdin that that merchant was one of the worst swindlers of all the merchants. The goldsmith then told Aladdin, 
that he would give him the actual value of the silver, and if the goldsmith could not afford it, then he would send Aladdin to another shop that could. Aladdin then showed the silver platter to the goldsmith who took it and weighed it. The goldsmith told Aladdin that it was the finest silver he had ever seen, and that it was worth at least 60 gold coins. The goldsmith told Aladdin that he would pay him immediately if Aladdin would let him buy this silver. Aladdin agreed, and from now on, he only sold his silver to the goldsmith. As time went on, Aladdin would study the world around him. He spent time learning and trying to better himself. One day, while Aladdin was walking through the shops, the royal guard came through, telling the shops to close their windows and to stay in sight. The princess was going to the baths, and nobody was to look on her. Aladdin very much wanted to see the princess, so he decided to go hide in the bath building. Once he was hidden, the princess came in. She was surrounded by a crowd of ladies, slaves, and mutes that walked all around her. Once the princess walked past Aladdin's hiding place, she took off her veil, and Aladdin saw the beauty of the princess. Aladdin was enchanted, and once the princess went to the next room with the bath, he left his hiding place and went home. Aladdin went home and told his mother how much he loved the princess, and his mother listened. Then Aladdin told his mother that he would ask the sultan if he could marry the princess. When his mother heard this, she laughed and told Aladdin that there was no way the sultan would allow him, Aladdin, to marry his daughter. But Aladdin was determined. Aladdin came up with a plan. Now knowing the true value of the jewels and diamonds and stones that came from the tree in the mountain, Aladdin asked his mother for the nicest dish, and they spent their time arranging the jewels to look as beautiful as possible. These jewels' value was beyond anything in the whole city. Aladdin then told his mother that she must go on to the sultan and present these jewels in exchange for his daughter. The next day, Aladdin's mother went into the palace and sat at court. The sultan sat and listened to the people of his city for most of the day before retiring and returning to his home. Aladdin's mother was not able to get a word to the sultan the whole time. For three days, Aladdin's mother went to court, and each time the sultan retired before it was her time to speak. On the fourth day, the sultan, seeing Aladdin's mother return to court, asked her what matters she wished to speak of. She told the sultan that her son wished to marry the princess and that these jewels were a token of his devotion and to take them as an example of his love. The sultan took the jewels and looked at them. The sultan knew that the value of these stones were beyond compare. The sultan beckoned to his advisors and they all looked upon the jewels. The sultan told Aladdin's mother that the jewels were worth his daughter's hand in marriage, but his daughter was promised to one of his advisors. The sultan told the advisor that he had three months to prepare a response to this, or Aladdin would marry his daughter. Three months passed, and Aladdin heard no response from the sultan. Aladdin's mother was in the shop, so she heard that there was to be a royal wedding and that the princess would marry the advisor's son. Aladdin's mother ran home 
and told Aladdin the news. Aladdin, horrified, ran to the lamp and called the genie. Aladdin told the genie to take him to the princess's chamber. Aladdin was instantly transported to the princess's room, which was empty. There he waited. The party of the wedding announcement continued until nightfall, and that's when the princess came back to her room. There she found Aladdin, who told her not to worry. They sat and talked all night. Aladdin told her how her father promised her to him in marriage, and then they talked of a great deal of things. Then, once the sun rose, Aladdin called the genie, and Aladdin returned home. The sultan could see that his daughter was very unhappy with the idea of marrying the advisor's son. The advisor's son had a reputation for being very controlling and mean-spirited, so the sultan decided to call off the wedding. The next day, the sultan returned to court. There waiting for him was Aladdin's mother. The sultan asked her why she had come to him, and she told him that he had promised his daughter to her son, Aladdin. The sultan, remembering this, talked to his advisors. When they were done, the sultan turned to Aladdin's mother and told her that Aladdin would have to supply 40 slave men carrying 40 trays of gold and jewels as the same quality as the jewels she brought him. He then said, in addition to this, Aladdin would have to bring another 40 slave women dressed in the finest of clothes. The sultan told Aladdin's mother that he expected Aladdin's response immediately. She told them that they would have their answer soon. Aladdin's mother did not believe that there was any way for his son to produce all the sultan asked for. When she made it home and told Aladdin what was expected of him, Aladdin was not worried. Aladdin went to his room and took the lamp. He told the genie all that he required by morning before court. The genie understood and disappeared. The next day, there were eighty slaves outside the door, the men all carrying trays of gold and jewels. Aladdin's mother went to the front of the line and guided them to the sultan's court. The sultan saw all of this in awe. Once the slaves placed all the gold and jewels, Aladdin's mother went to the sultan and asked for the marriage of her son and his daughter. The sultan agreed and told her that they must hurry because he was looking forward to meeting Aladdin and welcoming him to his family. Aladdin's mother returned home and told Aladdin the good news. Aladdin then turned and told the genie that he needed the best robes and four slaves and the best horse in the country. The genie returned with all of this and helped Aladdin get dressed. Aladdin gave the four slaves baskets full of money and told them to throw coins onto the crowd as they made their way to the sultan. Aladdin and the group traveled to the city, spreading money to everyone they passed. Once Aladdin reached the sultan, he was received with open arms. The sultan thought that Aladdin was even more noble than he imagined. Aladdin and the sultan talked and they ate all day, and once the day was over, the sultan had his advisors draw up a wedding contract. Aladdin told the sultan that he would sign it, but first he must build a palace large enough and worthy of his daughter, the princess. 
The sultan said that he would give him the land next to his own palace so they could be neighbors. Aladdin returned home and told the genie that they must build a palace filled with shops, gardens, a treasury, and stables. Overnight the genie worked, and at sunrise, next to the sultan's palace, stood a new, even better palace. Now that the palace was complete, Aladdin signed the marriage contract, and that night the wedding began. The princess was overjoyed with the marriage to Aladdin, and the marriage celebration lasted all night. They were surrounded by the best food and drink. Once they were finished eating, they viewed performance after performance of traditional dance and music. Finally, Aladdin, his mother, the sultan, and the princess were happy. Once Aladdin and the princess were married, things started to look good for Aladdin. Aladdin had a palace built for the sultan to match the beauty of his own palace with the help of the genie. One day, while the sultan was visiting with Aladdin in the sultan's palace, they came to a room with a window that was not finished. All the other windows in the sultan's palace built by Aladdin were filled with the most beautiful jewels, gold, and silver. This window had nothing. The sultan turned and asked Aladdin why this was so, and Aladdin told him that it was because he left this last window for the sultan to complete, so that the sultan could have a hand in creating his home. The sultan was overjoyed that he would have the honor because the rest of the palace was so beautiful, he knew that Aladdin must think highly of his skills. The sultan sent for the best jewelers in town, and for six weeks they went to work building and trying to finish the window. The jewelers came back to the sultan and told him they had no jewels that could match the type of jewels or gold in the other windows. The sultan told them not to worry. The sultan gave the jewels that Aladdin had originally gave him when Aladdin was asking for the princess's hand in marriage. With these jewels that matched the quality of the rest of the windows, the jewelers went to work. Again, they worked for another six weeks, but again, their craftsmanship was no compare to the genie who originally built the palace. Aladdin, seeing that the jewelers were having such a hard time, told them to remove the jewels and give them back to the sultan. Once the jewelers gave the jewels back to the sultan, he asked them why Aladdin had returned them. The jewelers said that Aladdin gave no reason. Aladdin summoned the genie and thanked him for leaving one window unfinished. Then he told the genie that it was time to make it like the other finished windows in the house. With that, the genie was off, and in no time the window was finished, looking of the same quality as the others. The sultan returned with Aladdin to the window, and the sultan asked him why he sent back the jewels, and to the sultan's surprise he saw that the window was finished to the same quality as the other windows in his own palace. The sultan thanked Aladdin for his quick and incredible work, and told him that there was not another person in the world like Aladdin. Aladdin never stayed long in his own palace. He was always taking day trips around the town, visiting various mosques, shops, and continuing to study the world around him. Every time he went out into public, he would have two of his slaves come at each side of his horse and throw coins to everyone he passed. Everyone loved Aladdin, for they knew he was a kind person. Seven years had passed, and Aladdin and the princess were still in love and doing well. This entire time, the sorcerer did not think about Aladdin once. He assumed that he had died in the cave where he left him. 
It just so happened that the sorcerer began to worry and wanted to make sure that Aladdin had died in the cave. So the sorcerer made many spells and incantations and was able to create a horoscope. With this horoscope, the sorcerer was able to find out that Aladdin had indeed not died in the cave, but he was able to make it out with the aid of the genie. The sorcerer also saw that he was now married to the princess and lived in a palace beyond compare. The sorcerer was furious and knew that it was because of the genie that Aladdin was able to be doing so well. The sorcerer made his way back to the city where Aladdin was and began to formulate a plan on getting the lamp with the genie into his possession. The sorcerer went to the palace and talked with the servants. In casual conversation, the sorcerer learned that there was a room Aladdin kept to himself with a lamp that Aladdin had instructed never to be touched. Once the sorcerer heard this, he ended his conversation and left. That night, the sorcerer went to the metal worker and asked him to make 12 of the best quality brass lamps and to make sure that they were polished and shiny. The metal worker told the sorcerer that it would take him a full day to complete. The sorcerer told him that it would be fine, but to have them ready. The sorcerer the next day went back to the palace and inquired about the whereabouts of Aladdin. The servants told the sorcerer that Aladdin was out hunting, and it would be several days before he returned. The sorcerer thanked them for this information and returned to the metal worker to pick up his new brass lamps. The next day, the sorcerer returned to outside the palace with a basket filled with his lamps and began to shout out to the crowd that he would exchange old lamps for new lamps. If anyone had an old lamp, he would trade it for one of his new ones. It wasn't long before a crowd began to form around him. Everyone was making fun of this old man with the lamps. Eventually, the sound of the crowd became so loud that the princess took interest. She asked the servant what all the sound was about, and the servant told her that it was an old man exchanging new lamps for old ones. The princess instantly remembered the old lamp in Aladdin's room, and she told a servant to go and get it in exchange for a new one. The servant did what the princess told her and went to the sorcerer and exchanged it for a new lamp. The sorcerer knew that this servant came from Aladdin's palace, and he knew that the lamp she gave him was the lamp of the genie. After the sorcerer saw the servant leave, he dropped all the other lamps and took the genie's lamp with him and left the streets. Once night fell, the sorcerer took out the lamp and rubbed it. Once the genie appeared, the sorcerer told it that he wanted the palace and everyone in it and himself to be transported back to Africa. The genie did as he was told, and with that the palace, the people, and the sorcerer were gone and back in Africa. The next day, the sultan went to look out his window, and to his surprise, he saw that his neighbor, Aladdin's palace, was gone. The sultan didn't know what could have happened that would make it there one day and gone the next. The sultan turned to his advisor and asked him what could have caused this. The advisor never liked Aladdin, so he told the sultan that the palace must have been created with dark magic and that Aladdin could not be trusted and must face the crimes for his deception. The sultan, now angry for being deceived, told the guards that they must go out and find Aladdin and bring him back to him. Once the guards found Aladdin, they brought him back to the sultan. 
The sultan, who was so angry, told Aladdin that he would be killed for his deception. The sultan never let Aladdin speak or offer any explanation. Once the people of the city found out that Aladdin was to be killed, there were riots in the street. The people loved Aladdin for his acts of charity throughout Aladdin's life, and they did not want to see him killed. The sultan, not wanting the riots to continue, decided not to kill Aladdin. Instead, he let him try to explain himself. Aladdin told the sultan that he had no idea who stole his palace and asked that if he could be given 40 days, he would bring it back. The sultan told him that on the 40th day, he must return, and if he failed in finding the palace and the princess, then he, Aladdin, would be killed. Aladdin went throughout the town and tried to meet with his friends. None of them would talk to Aladdin. Aladdin went deep into the forest. He was so frustrated that he punched the ground. After hurting his hand, he began to rub it, and to his surprise, the genie of the ring he was wearing came out. The genie asked Aladdin if he wanted anything, and Aladdin, so happy that someone had come to his aid, told the genie that he wanted his palace and all the people in it back in the city. The genie of the ring told Aladdin that he could not do it, because it was the work of the genie of the lamp. Aladdin, thinking fast, told the genie of the ring that he would like to be taken to the location where his palace and the people were. With that, Aladdin was instantly transported into Africa, where his palace and people were. The princess, who just so happened to be looking out the window of the palace, saw Aladdin appear and waved to him. Aladdin saw her and waved back. The princess sent for a servant to go let Aladdin into the palace, the back way. Once Aladdin made it into the princess's room, they were overjoyed with the reunion. The princess asked what was the cause of this horrible problem, and Aladdin told her that it was because of the lamp, and that he had to get it back. The princess admitted that she thought it had to do with the lamp. Aladdin and the princess came up with a plan, and once it was finished, Aladdin left the palace in secret and made his way into the town. Aladdin convinced a poor man to change clothes with him. In this new disguise, Aladdin went to the apothecary. There he asked for a certain powder. The apothecary, thinking that Aladdin was poor and could not pay for it, told Aladdin that it was very expensive. Aladdin showed him the money he had, and the apothecary measured the powder and gave Aladdin the amount he wanted. Aladdin paid him with one gold coin, then left. Once Aladdin was finished with all this, he made his way back to the palace. Again, the princess saw him coming and told the servant to let him in the back way. Aladdin came to the princess's room and told her the rest of the plan. This time, when the sorcerer came to spend time with the princess, she would pretend to like him. They would drink wine together, and then once she put the powder into her cup, she would exchange it with the sorcerer. The sorcerer would gladly do this because he would see it as a sign of affection from the princess. Once the sorcerer fell asleep, then she would call Aladdin to her. The plan begun, the sorcerer came to spend time with the princess, and she pretended to like him. They began to drink, and she slipped the powder Aladdin had received earlier that day into her cup, and she exchanged it with the sorcerer, who was happy to have it. The sorcerer drank it, and it wasn't long before the sorcerer fell asleep. The princess called Aladdin, 
and he came into the room. Aladdin searched the sorcerer's clothes, and that's where he found the lamp. Aladdin took the lamp in his hand and rubbed it, and the genie of the lamp came out. Aladdin told the genie that he would like to have himself, the palace, and everyone in it transported back to its original home in China. The palace arrived in the middle of the night, and the princess and Aladdin rested. The next day, the sultan was looking out of his house, sad that the princess and Aladdin was gone, and hoping that he would not have to kill Aladdin. Once the sun rose, he realized that he could see the palace of Aladdin. The sultan was so overcome with joy that he told his servants that he needed a horse right away, and with that, the sultan took off to meet Aladdin and the princess in their home. Once the sultan arrived in Aladdin's newly returned palace, the family was happily reunited. The sultan was overjoyed to see his daughter the princess again, and told Aladdin that he was sorry for the way he treated him. As it turned out, the sorcerer had a younger brother. Every year, once a year, they would travel from wherever they were to meet each other. This year, the old sorcerer never met with the young brother. The young brother was just as powerful and as good as the old sorcerer with magic. So the young sorcerer created many spells and incantations and created a horoscope. He used this horoscope to find his brother, and to his surprise and anger, he found the old sorcerer dead. The young sorcerer looked into the past to find out who killed the sorcerer, and that's when he found out it was Aladdin who got the poison. The young sorcerer found the location of where Aladdin lived and set out on a journey to get revenge. Once the young sorcerer found out that it was Aladdin who was responsible for the death of his brother, the young sorcerer made it his mission in life to kill Aladdin. The young sorcerer made his way to China, and once there, he rested. The young sorcerer took his time in the city. He spent the time learning all he could about Aladdin. He learned that the people of the city valued Aladdin and saw him as a good person. The young sorcerer was not sure of a way to kill Aladdin. One day, he heard talk of a woman. Never hearing of this woman, the young sorcerer asked to know more about her and why she was so famous. It turned out that this woman's name was Fatima. She was a woman who possessed incredible powers. A couple times a week, she would come into the city and great crowds of sick and injured people would come around her. Fatima would spend her time touching and healing those that were sick. Her magical ways were admired throughout the city. After the young sorcerer learned about this, he was able to come up with a plan. The young sorcerer went at night to the place where Fatima lived. He snuck into her home and killed her. Then he took her clothes and created a disguise so he looked like her. He then proceeded to bury her body so no one would find her. The next day, the young sorcerer, disguised as Fatima, made his way into the city. Instantly, there formed a large crowd around him of all different sorts of people asking to be healed. The young sorcerer muttered some fake prayers, and the people believed that he was the real Fatima. The young sorcerer made his way through the city until he came in front of Aladdin's palace. Once the young sorcerer was in front of the palace, he stopped and continued to give the people fake blessings and healings. 
The crowd continued to grow and became so loud that the princess was able to hear them from inside the palace. The princess, wondering what all the noise was about, asked the servant what was going on. The servant told her that it was Fatima, healing people outside the palace. The princess was a huge fan of Fatima and had long heard tales of her magical abilities. The princess told the servant to go send for Fatima so that she could learn more about her. The servant went out, and the crowd, seeing the servant from the palace, created a path so that she could make it through. The servant told the young sorcerer in disguise that the princess wished to speak with him, and the young sorcerer replied that he would be happy to. The young sorcerer made his way into the palace and was brought to the same room as the princess. The princess told the young sorcerer in disguise that she wanted to learn more about her and what she did and how to live a life as generous as she, Fatima, had lived. The princess told who she thought was Fatima that she wanted training in all of this and asked if Fatima would be kind enough to teach her. The young sorcerer listened to all of this and was very happy to hear this. He was delighted to know that his plan was going so well. He knew that it would be easier to kill Aladdin from within the palace, so he made up a lie. The young sorcerer told the princess that he, as Fatma, had to conduct prayers and routines, and that it would be too much work to travel from home to her home and continued to give blessings and train the princess, so he would have to decline. When the princess heard this, she came up with a plan. When the princess heard this, she came up with a plan. She told who she thought was Fatima that she would allow her to live in the palace. Fatima would have a room and whatever she needed to conduct her prayers and blessings. When the young sorcerer heard this, he was overjoyed that the princess had fallen for his trap. The young sorcerer, as Fatima, agreed to this and came to live in the palace with Aladdin and the princess. The princess told the young sorcerer that she wished to eat with her, and then they could begin training in the evening. The young sorcerer knew that she would figure out who he really was if he revealed his face to eat. He told her that he would eat the simplest of foods in his room, and there, after he was finished, he would come join her to start the training. The princess ate by herself, and the young sorcerer ate by himself in his room. Once he was finished, the princess sent for him. The princess gave the young sorcerer in disguise a tour of the palace. At the end of the tour, the princess asked the woman what she thought of the great halls they were in. The young sorcerer told the princess that it was a very beautiful hall, but it needed one more thing if it was to be the most incredible hall in the world. The young sorcerer told the princess that the hall needed a rock's egg. The princess, not knowing what that was, asked the young sorcerer what it was. The sorcerer told her that it was an egg from a large bird that could only be found in the mountains. After their meeting, they went their separate ways, but it continued to bother the princess that the hall needed this rock's egg. The princess waited into the night for Aladdin to return, and she told him that the hall was really great, 
but what she thought it needed to be the best in the world was a roc's egg. Aladdin replied that he would have it done immediately and left the room. In private, he pulled out his lamp and rubbed it, and out came the genie. Aladdin told the genie that he wanted this roc's egg brought to the hall and hung in the middle. The genie grew angry at his request. It turned out the roc's egg was his master, and the genie told Aladdin that after everything he had done, he would have him bring his master to the hall and hang it like some ornament. The genie told Aladdin that what he wished for was so bad that the genie would burn down his palace and everyone in it. Aladdin, scared, had nothing to say. Then the genie continued and told Aladdin that he knew this was not the wish of Aladdin or the wish of the princess. The genie told Aladdin that the princess had gotten the idea from a woman named Fatima, but she was in fact deceived. The woman was actually the brother of the old sorcerer that Aladdin had killed. The genie continued to tell Aladdin that this young sorcerer's intention was to kill Aladdin, and with that, the genie disappeared. Aladdin went back to the princess and told her that he had a very bad headache. The princess told Aladdin that this holy woman, Fatima, could come and heal him. Aladdin agreed to this meeting and waited in the room while the princess went out to get Fatima. Moments later, the princess found Fatima and returned. The young sorcerer, who knew this was his moment to kill Aladdin, held a dagger under his robes. Aladdin, who knew the young sorcerer's intention, was able to figure out where the hidden dagger was. Aladdin, still pretending to be in so much pain, told Fatima that he needed to be healed and asked if she would come closer to bless him. The young sorcerer came towards Aladdin, and once he was close, quickly drew his dagger. But Aladdin prepared, knocked the dagger out of the young sorcerer's hand, caught it. Then Aladdin stabbed the sorcerer in the heart. The princess was horrified that Aladdin had killed the holy woman Fatima. But Aladdin showed the princess that it was really an imposter. Then Aladdin told the princess what the genie told him that this was, in fact, the brother of the old sorcerer, and that he had come to kill Aladdin himself. After these events, years had passed with peace for Aladdin and the princess. Eventually, the sultan died in his sleep, leaving just the princess as his heir. Aladdin and the princess ruled over the land. Aladdin and the princess were good and loved rulers and were famous for their kindness even after they had died. A long time ago in Persia, there lived two brothers. Their names were Ali Baba and Kasim. When their father died in his will, he left his small fortune to both brothers, divided evenly. Ali Baba married a poor wife and lived a life selling and splitting wood, while Kasim married a rich wife and with her money became a rich merchant in the city. One day, while Ali Baba was cutting down trees in the forest, he heard the sound of many horses approaching. Worried that this large group would be a collection of robbers or bandits, Ali Baba left his mules that carried his wood and climbed a tree in order to hide from this group. It turned out 
that this was indeed a group of robbers, and they made their way to the side of the mountain, not far from where Ali Baba hid. Hiding in the trees, Ali Baba wondered what they were doing in front of the rocks at the side of the mountain. Watching, Ali Baba saw as their leader got off his horse and spoke the words, Open Sesame. With that, the rocks moved and revealed the entrance to the cave in the side of the mountain. Once the cave was open, the other robbers got off their horses and carried bags filled with gold into the cave. Once they were all inside, the rocks closed back up and the cave entrance was hidden. Ali Baba, who was still in the tree, was so fearful that he did not dare come out of his hiding spot. A long time had passed, and Ali Baba remained in hiding. Then, all of a sudden, the rocks began to move again, and the cave entrance was revealed. The group of robbers all left the cave, and the leader was the last one out. Once all the robbers mounted their horses, the leader turned to the cave and said, Close, Sesame. With that, the rock formation closed, and with it, the cave entrance was hidden. After seeing that the cave was now well hidden, the leader of the robbers climbed onto his horse, and they followed him off into the distance. Once Ali Baba could no longer see them, and he was sure that they were not going to make a return, Ali Baba climbed down the tree and went to the rock formation. Curious as to what was in the cave, Ali Baba spoke the words, Open Sesame. As soon as he spoke the words, the rocks all moved out of the way, and the cave entrance was revealed. Ali Baba made his way into the cave. Once he was all the way inside, the entrance closed. To Ali Baba's surprise, the cave was well lit, and looking around, he could see that it was filled with tons of treasure. There was gold and diamonds, jewels and more, all around the cave. Ali Baba decided to take only what he could carry, so the robbers would not notice anything was missing filled his hands with gold and jewels, and with that he walked to the cave entrance. Standing at the entrance, Ali Baba said the words, Open Sesame, and with that the rocks moved out of the way, and Ali Baba was free to leave. Once he was out of the cave, he turned back to it and said, Close Sesame, and the cave closed. Ali Baba gathered his mules and hid the gold in his bag. Then he made his way back home. He put his mules away and carefully brought the bag of riches into the house. Ali Baba showed his wife what he had found. They were both very excited for their new income. Ali Baba's wife began to count it, but every time she tried, she would end up losing count. There was so much of it. Ali Baba decided that the best thing they could do would be to bury it so no one could come and steal it. Ali Baba's wife told him that they should know the exact amount that they have. So while Ali Baba was digging the hole for the riches, his wife went to his brother's home. There, Ali Baba's wife told Kasim's wife that Ali Baba had brought home some grain and they needed a scale to see how much there was. Kasim's wife told her that she would go and get the scale for them and it would take a moment. Kasim's wife, however, was very curious as to what grain Ali Baba had bought. She knew that they were very poor. Kasim's wife decided to put a small amount of glue at the bottom of the scale tray. With that, Kasim's wife came back to the door and gave Ali Baba's wife the scale. Immediately, Ali Baba's wife returned home and weighed the gold. She took note of the weight, and with that, Ali Baba took the gold 
and in the hole he dug, he covered it up. What they didn't know was that a small piece of gold lay stuck on the scale tray because of the glue Kasim's wife placed there. Wanting to stay on good terms with Kasim and his wife, Ali Baba's wife returned the scale that day to the Kasim's. Once Ali Baba's wife left, Kasim's wife looked at the scale to see what grains were left. To her shock, she saw that it was a piece of gold. Kasim's wife was enraged and jealous that Ali Baba had some riches, even though Kasim and her had always had money. Once Kasim came home from the bank, he was greeted by his angry wife. She told him that his poor brother was not as poor as they thought, that while Kasim counts his money, Ali Baba has so much money that he has to weigh it in order to know how much he has. Kasim didn't know what his wife was talking about, so she showed him the piece of gold that came from the scale and told him the whole story. Kasim was also jealous and went to go confront Ali Baba. Kasim never treated Ali Baba with much respect or regard, even though he was his brother. So when Kasim arrived at Ali Baba's house, he accused Ali Baba of lying to him this whole time and pretending to be poor when he was really rich. Then Kasim showed Ali Baba the gold piece that had been stuck to the scale. Ali Baba told his brother about how he had gotten the treasure, about the robbers, and about the cave. Kasim, hearing all of this, began to grow very greedy. Kasim went on to threaten Ali Baba that if he didn't tell him where the cave was, he would report him and he would be put in jail and all his riches would be taken away from him. Ali Baba, who was going to tell his brother's location and password anyway, continued to tell Kasim where the cave was. Ali Baba told him that he would have to say open sesame to open the cave and close sesame to close it. Kasim left Ali Baba's house and returned to his own. The next day in the morning, before the sun rose, Kasim left his house and went to the cave Ali Baba told him about. Kasim brought several mules, all holding several empty baskets. Kasim wanted to take out as much treasure as he could. Once Kasim found the location, he spoke the words open sesame, and the rock formation began to move and revealed the cave entrance. Kasim entered the cave, and the rock formation closed behind him. Kasim was overwhelmed with all the jewels and gold, and spent his time stuffing his bags with as much treasure as he could. Once all Kasim's baskets were full, he went to leave the cave, but the entrance was closed. In his excitement, he had forgotten the name of the grain he was supposed to say in order to exit the cave. He tried saying open wheat, open barley. He tried everything that he could think of, but he couldn't remember open sesame. By now it was midday, and the robbers were riding their horses back to their cave. The robbers saw Kasim's horses that they were standing in front of their closed cave, and they knew that someone must be in there. Kasim, hearing the robbers' horses approach, began to get worried and decided that he would make a quick run for it once the cave opened in order to save his life. The robbers got off their horses and drew their swords and waited. Then the leader went to the cave and said the words, Open Sesame, and the rock moved out of the way. Kasim came running out of the cave, and into the swords of the robbers, and was killed instantly. It turned out that even though Ali Baba had only taken a little of the treasure, 
the robbers still noticed. They knew that this Cassim intruder must not have been the one who learned the secret of the cave, or he would have been able to escape. So the robbers decided to cut Cassim's body into five pieces. They placed his body in the cave, one arm and one leg on one side, and the other arm and the other leg on the other. Then they placed Cassim's head on a spike and placed it at the center of the cave. They knew that whoever Cassim's accomplice was would be terrified to see this, and they hoped it would prevent that person from ever coming back into their cave again. Once the robbers were finished with Cassim's body, they left the cave, closing it behind them, and rode off into the distance. Sunset had come, and Cassim's wife grew anxious. She did not know where Cassim had gone so early in the morning, but she knew that it had something to do with Ali Baba's gold. When she could not take the unknown any longer, she went to Ali Baba's home, and once there, begged Ali Baba to tell her where her husband went. Ali Baba told Cassim's wife that he had gone in search of treasure and that he must be hiding out in the forest, waiting for the nightfall, in order to return to his house undetected. Ali Baba told her that she must not worry, that Cassim would probably return at midnight. Cassim's wife, a little relieved but still worried, returned to her home. She waited in bed but could not sleep. She kept going over in her mind how it was her fault for spying on Ali Baba, that this whole ordeal might have never happened if she would just let things be. Midnight came, and still Cassim did not return. She waited all night, and once morning came, Cassim's wife knew that Cassim had not made it. She ran to Ali Baba's home and told him that Cassim never returned. Once Ali Baba heard this, he feared the worst and took his mules that were carrying wood to the hidden cave. Once Ali Baba was outside the cave, he grew more worried. At the base of the rocks in front of the entrance, he found blood on the ground. Ali Baba, expecting the worst, told the words, Open Sesame, to the cave. With that, the rocks began to move, and the entrance to the cave was revealed. In the entrance to Ali Baba's horror was Kasim's body split into pieces. Ali Baba wasted no time and gathered Kasim's body. Looking around, Ali Baba found some rugs and hid Kasim's body inside it, then loaded it into the mules. Ali Baba hid the rugs under his wood piles so the body would not be found. Then Ali Baba went back into the cave and took out two baskets of gold, also hiding that under another pile of wood. With that, Ali Baba left the cave with the two mules carrying the two piles of wood with the hidden packages. Ali Baba stopped at his home first and gave the mule with the gold to his wife so she may hide them. Then Ali Baba made his way to Kasim's house. Once he arrived at Kasim's house, he told Kasim's wife that Kasim was dead. Then he turned to Kasim's servant, who was very smart, and told her that the body was in the rugs he had brought. The servant's name was Morgana, and Ali Baba told her that she must come up with a plan to explain Kasim's death and make it look like he died of natural causes. Morgana came up with a plan overnight. The next day she went into the apothecary with tears in her eyes and asked for a special compound for her master Kasim. 
The apothecary knew that this compound was for the most deadly of sicknesses and was concerned for Cassim. Morgana told the apothecary that it was true Cassim was very sick. The apothecary gave Morgana the compound, and Morgana went back home. The next day, Morgana made her way back to the apothecary, again crying. This time, she asked for an herb that was given to people who were close to death in order to ease their pain. The apothecary gave the herb to Morgana. The apothecary knew that this must mean that Cassim was dying from a deadly sickness. The next day, Morgana announced to the city that Cassim had died and that they would begin the burial process. The people were not surprised because rumors had been going around from the apothecary that Cassim was very close to death. Later that day, Morgana went to the cobbler and asked him if she paid him three gold coins. Would he come with her blindfolded to sew something for her? The cobbler told her that he would do so. So Morgana gave him the two gold coins and told him that he would get the third when he was finished. Morgana told him to gather his sewing gear, and once he had, she blindfolded the cobbler. Morgana led the cobbler to Cassim's house and took him inside the room where Cassim's body was. Morgana took the blindfold off and told the cobbler to sew the arms, legs, and head back to the body. The cobbler, not knowing whose body this was, did what he was told, and once he was finished, Morgana gave him the third coin. Morgana then blindfolded the cobbler and took him back to his home. Once she brought him back, she stayed and watched the cobbler to make sure he went back into his house and did not attempt to follow her. With that done, Morgana went back to Cassim's home and prepared the burial incense and washed and dressed Cassim's body. The next day, Cassim's body was taken to the mosque and the burial service began. The attendants began to prepare Cassim's body, but Morgana told them that she already had done it. With that, the prayers began and Ali Baba and his wife arrived at the mosque, crying at the loss of their brother. Kasim's wife stayed at home in mourning, and the people of the city came to pay their respects. No one suspected anything. Everyone thought Kasim had died of natural causes. It was agreed that Ali Baba and his wife would move into Kasim's house, and Kasim's wife would continue to live with them. Ali Baba's son was put in charge of Kasim's merchant business. For a time, everything was peaceful. The robbers returned to the cave, and to their surprise, they found that Kasim's body was missing. Not only that, but a few more bags of gold were also missing. The robbers knew that this was a problem. There was still somewhere out in the world who knew their secret cave. That person could alert the authorities at any time, or worst, steal all the treasure they had captured. The captain of the robbers told them that this task would be the most important thing they do. One volunteer must go out and find the person who still knows of the cave. The captain continued by saying that this task was so important that if for any reason the volunteer failed, they would be killed. Then the captain asked if there would be anyone up for the mission, and one robber instantly volunteered. The robbers all cheered and helped create a disguise for this volunteer. 
The volunteer made his way into the city in the early morning. While looking around, he saw that the only shop that was open was the shop of the cobbler. The volunteer went inside and saw the old cobbler working away. The volunteer told the cobbler that he was very old and wondered if the cobbler's eyes were still good enough for sewing. The cobbler replied that he was indeed old, but he still had very good eyes. The cobbler went on to say that his skills were so good that he even sewed up a dead man not long ago. The volunteer knew that this must be the body of Kasim, so the volunteer asked him if he knew where he did this. The cobbler told him he didn't. He was blindfolded on the way there and had no idea where the house was. He also was blindfolded on the way back. The volunteer took out two gold coins and gave them to the cobbler and asked him if he didn't mind being blindfolded again. He must remember a little from the path he took. The cobbler, looking at the two gold coins, thought that this would be easy money, so without hesitation, the cobbler agreed to try. But the cobbler warned that he might not be able to get to the exact place. The cobbler and the volunteer made it throughout the city. The cobbler blindfolded, leading the way for the volunteer robber. They traveled for some time until the cobbler came to a stop. The cobbler told the volunteer that this must be the spot. The robber took out a piece of chalk and marked the door, then took off the robber's blindfold and thanked him for his work. With that, the cobbler went home. This was indeed the new home of Ali Baba, and the robber was successful in finding it. The volunteer returned to the cave where all the other robbers and the captain were. The volunteer told the story of how he found the cobbler who had sewn up a dead man, who must have been the intruder, and he told them that he found the house where he thinks the accomplice was, and that he marked it with a piece of chalk. All the other robbers were happy, and they came out with a plan to leave the next day in small groups and go into the city. Their plan was to kill this accomplice without being discovered. When Morgana came home from her errands she was running, she noticed the chalk mark on the door. She knew this must be a bad sign, and someone was intending to do something bad to her new master, Ali Baba. Morgana then went to look for a piece of chalk, and she went and marked the five houses to the left and five houses to the right, with the same mark in the same place on the door. With that, Morgana went back to Ali Baba's home. The next day, the robbers made it into the city. They found the area where Ali Baba's house was, and were about to go in to attack until the captain noticed that there was a chalk mark on the house next to Ali Baba's. Confused, the robbers went to look at the other houses, and to their surprise, there were ten houses, all with the same chalk mark on the door. They turned and asked the volunteer if he could remember which house it was, and the volunteer was so worried and confused that he could not remember which house the cobbler pointed out to him. The robbers all left the city in small groups and returned to the cave. There, the volunteer explained that he only marked one house and that he had no idea how the other marks were made. The captain, not happy, told the volunteer while he did learn a lot, he still failed in his task. With that, the first volunteer was killed. The captain to the rest of the robbers explained the importance of his mission, and again he asked if there would be anyone who would volunteer to find the accomplice. 
It wasn't long before another robber volunteered. The next morning, the second volunteer went out and found the cobbler. Again, the cobbler guided the second volunteer to the house of Ali Baba. The second volunteer, thinking he was clever, marked to the house again, but this time with a red piece of chalk. Once the job was done, the second volunteer returned back to the cave and told the other robbers and the captain that it was done. Again, the captain decided that they would leave in the morning to go kill this accomplice to Kasim. That night, Morgana came to the home of Ali Baba, and she found the red mark on the door. She knew that the person who left it had no good intentions. It took her some time, but she was able to find a red piece of chalk, and like before, she went up and down the street, marking each door before returning to Ali Baba's home. The next morning, the robbers came and met at Ali Baba's home. Again, they noticed that all the doors on the street had been marked with red chalk. Again, the second volunteer could not identify the house by memory, so they all returned back to the cave, and the second volunteer was killed for his failure. The captain, who now saw that his gang of robbers were not the brightest, was sure if he continued letting them volunteer, they would all end up killed or failing. With that, the captain told the group of robbers that he himself would go and find the accomplice to Kasim, and they would kill him. The captain went into the city and found the cobbler. Again, the cobbler was able to show the house of Ali Baba. This time, however, instead of marking the door or any other part of the house, the captain stood there and took in as many details as he could. The captain memorized the house until he was sure he could identify it later. Once he was sure he had it all memorized, he made his way back to the cave where the other robbers were waiting for him. The captain told the robbers in the cave that he found the house and that he had a lot of work to do. The captain came up with a plan. They bought 40 mules with 39 barrels used to carry oil. However, one of the barrels was filled with oil while the others were empty. The captain told the robbers that they had to get into the barrels and not make a sound. By this time, the sun was setting, and the captain, who had disguised himself as an oil merchant, made his way to Ali Baba's house with a pack of horses with oil barrels. Once at the house, the captain got off his horse and knocked at the door. Ali Baba opened the door, and the captain explained that he meant to get into the city earlier, but he was delayed and was wondering if he could spare some lodging for the night. The captain explained that he would be gone first thing in the morning. Ali Baba decided to let the captain in disguise stay in his house. The captain parked the mules with the barrels filled with robbers in the yard. Then, when no one was around, went and opened the lid to each barrel and told the robber that he would throw rocks at the barrel when it was time to attack. Ali Baba told Morgana that he planned to go to the baths in the morning, and when he returned, he wanted to have some soup for breakfast. Morgana went and told the cook, Abdallah, that they needed to have some soup prepared for the morning. By this time, night had fallen. Morgana was making her way back to the room when her lamp blew out. This was the last lamp in the house, and when Morgana looked inside, she saw that it blew out because it was out of oil. 
It so happened that the house was also out of oil. So Morgana decided that she would go and take some oil from the oil merchant. She made her way to the barrels, and as she grew close to open a lid, a voice came from the barrel. It was one of the robbers who heard Morgana walking to him. However, this robber thought that it was the captain and asked if it was time to attack. Morgana, thinking fast, disguised her voice and told the robber that it was not time. She went to each barrel, and each robber asked if it was time. Each time, she replied that it was not time yet. When she got to the last barrel, she found that it was indeed a barrel full of oil. She took some oil for the lamp, and then decided to take the whole barrel. Morgana made it to the kitchen and put a large pot on the stove. She set the stove fire to as hot as possible, then poured the oil into the pot. It wasn't long before the oil began to boil, and with the smaller pot, she took parts of the boiling oil back outside where the other barrels were. Once outside, she dumped the boiling oil into the barrel with a robber in it, and the robber died instantly. Morgana made the trip back and forth with boiling oil and dumping it into each and every barrel with the robber in it until they were all dead. Once they were all dead, Morgana went back to her room and went to sleep. Once it was deep into the night, the captain looked out his window and began to throw rocks out onto the barrels. To his surprise, none of the robbers got out of the barrels. Angry, the captain snuck out of his room and went outside to see the barrels and asked the robbers why they did not get out. To the captain's horror, he found that the first barrel he checked had a dead robber in it. The captain went and checked each barrel and found that all his robbers had been killed. The captain knew that he had been found out. The captain then ran off in the night, leaving behind everything. The next day, Ali Baba made his way to the baths, and once he returned, he was surprised to see that the mules with oil were still there. Ali Baba asked Morgana why the oil merchant had not left, and that's when Morgana told him the whole story. Morgana told Ali Baba how there had been marks placed on the door and her method for distraction. Then Morgana told Ali Baba how she went to look for some oil and found the robbers in the barrel. Morgana then took Ali Baba and showed him all the dead robbers. Ali Baba was so happy with all that Morgana had done to save his family and himself that he freed her on the spot and told her that he would continue to pay her and thanks for all she did. Morgana and Abdallah spent the rest of the day digging a trench and placed all the robbers into the ground. With that, all the robbers had been hidden. Again, some time had passed, but the captain still wanted to kill Ali Baba. The captain came up with a new plan and created a fake name and a new disguise and made his way back into the city. The captain set up shop as a merchant and for a time did very well. By accident, the captain became friends with Ali Baba's son, who was still running Kasim's old shop. Once the captain found out his new friend's father was Ali Baba, the captain became even more friendlier to the son. One day, the captain came to Ali Baba's son and told him that he was having repairs made to his house and was wondering if he could spend the night at his house. Ali Baba's son replied, that he could not because he had no extra space. 
The son continued on to say that he thought the captain could stay at his father's house. The captain was overjoyed with this, and that night, once all the shops had closed, the son and the captain made their way back to Ali Baba's house. The son explained the situation to Ali Baba, and Ali Baba was very happy to have his son's friend stay over it. They all began to talk, and Ali Baba asked the captain in disguise if he wanted some dinner. The captain replied that he would, but asked that there be no salt in the meat or the bread. Ali Baba went into the kitchen and told Morgana the request, and she and Abdallah began to create the meal. It bothered Morgana that she received a request to create a meal with no salt. So she went to peek to see who was staying over. She peeked into the room and she recognized the captain immediately and knew that he was there to kill Ali Baba. Morgana and Abdallah brought out the meal and told Ali Baba that she would treat them to a dance performance in order to entertain their new guest. Once Ali Baba and the others finished their meal, Morgana came out dressed as a dancer. She danced around the sun and Ali Baba. Then she pulled out a hat and a small dagger. She would dance around, pointing the dagger at herself, then at Ali Baba. Then with the other hand, she held the hat. Laughing, Ali Baba placed a coin in the hat. Morgana repeated this with the sun, pointing the dagger at herself, then pointing it at the sun. Once the hat came to the sun, he too placed a coin in the hat. The captain in preparation pulled out his coin purse to place a coin in the hat. Once Morgana came around to him, she pointed a dagger at herself and then turned the blade and thrust it into the heart of the unsuspecting captain. Ali Baba and his son were horrified at what had happened. Then Morgana revealed the disguise of the captain, and Ali Baba knew that Morgana had saved their lives again. Ali Baba told Morgana that she had continued to save their lives and that they could think of no better honor than adding her to the family. Ali Baba told his son that he must marry Morgana, which Morgana and the son were happy with. More time had passed, and Ali Baba kept an eye out for any more robbers. Once he felt it was safe, he returned to the cave. He went inside and found that the captain must have been the last one there, because nothing else had been disturbed in a long time. Ali Baba loaded his mules with some treasure, only taking what he needed. It wasn't until Ali Baba was an old man that he took his son to the cave and taught him the secret word to open the cave. Generation after generation from Ali Baba's family were taught the safe word, and they all lived happily for the rest of their days. A long time ago, there was an old king. This old king had three sons who were not just handsome, but very kind as well. They were very noble and always went out of their way to do the right thing. However, as time went on, the old king's advisors began to tell the old king lies. The advisors told the old king that his three sons were getting impatient for the throne and that they were plotting to take over control from the old king. At first, the old king did not believe these lies, but as time went on, his mind began to believe what his corrupt advisors were telling him. 
the old king was also aware that he was indeed getting older, and he might not be able to be king for much longer. The old king came up with a plan in order to keep his sons busy and hopefully prevent them from plotting to take over the throne, even though in reality it was not true. The old king gathered his sons and told him that he was getting old and that he was preparing to retire from the throne. He then told his sons that in his retirement he would very much like a loyal dog who was both intelligent, beautiful, and trustworthy. The king then told his sons that whoever brought back the best dog that matched this description would become king. With that, the king sent his three sons into the world and searched for the best dog. The old king was sure that it would take them a long time to find the right dog. And in all that time, the old king would get an extra year on the throne. The king also told them that they had a year to search for the perfect dog before returning home. The sons left and went to a tavern. They all agreed that they would meet together in a year to present their dogs all at the same time. They thought that this would be fair to each other. All three brothers took different roads. The youngest made his way throughout the country. Every time the young prince found a dog he thought was great, he would purchase it. When he would find one even better, he would give the old dog to one of his servants as a gift. After he had given all his servants dogs, the young prince stopped buying dogs. He knew that the last dog he would get would have to be the best. The young prince was traveling from town to town when he found his way into a forest. He knew that he had to pass through the forest in order to get to the next town. So he made his way through. As he followed the path, darkness fell, and to make matters even worse, a large storm arrived overhead. The young prince tried to stay on the path and make it to the next town, but it wasn't long before the young prince lost his path and began to wander deeper and deeper into the forest. As the young prince kept looking for the path, he became more and more lost. He eventually came to a clearing. To his surprise, in this clearing there was a castle. It was beautiful and built with the best craftsmanship. As he walked through the gardens to the castle entrance, he noticed the sculptures of various fairies. At the entrance, he pulled a chain on the door and he heard a bell ring. Instantly, the door opened and to his surprise, he saw several floating torches as if being held by invisible people coming toward him. Then he felt the invisible hands gently pushing him in. At first, he was afraid of entering the castle with invisible people. Then he started to hear the invisible people begin to chant. In the chant, they told him there was no danger to fear, that they would take good care of him, and that he would be the one to break the spell that fell on the beautiful lady. After hearing this, the young prince began to relax. He didn't know what the words could mean. Still, the gentle invisible hands kept pushing him deeper into the castle. The hands took him to a bedroom. Once inside, the young prince noticed that there was already fresh clothes set out for him and a warm bath. The prince removed his wet clothes, cleaned himself, then put on the new clothes that were waiting for him. 
the young prince noticed that the bed was made up for two people, and he wondered who else used this room. As soon as he saw this, he saw several small figures that barely came up to his knee. They were wearing cloaks, and he could not see what form they took. They approached him, and one of the figures removed her cloak. It turned out to be a beautiful white cat. Then the white cat began to speak. She told the young prince that he was welcome here, and that he would be taken care of during his stay. The young prince, a little surprised at the talking cat, quickly recovered from his shock and told the white cat that he was very happy to have found this place and that she was very kind already to have treated him so well. The white cat then told the young prince that he had made it just in time for supper and that he was to join her in the dining room to eat. There they would be able to continue this conversation. The young prince felt the invisible hands guiding him until he found himself in the dining room where he was greeted by the white cat. They ate together. The cat ate rats and mice and the young prince ate a delicious prepared food for a human. Once they were finished, the prince noticed a portrait hanging on the other side of the room. He turned to the white cat and asked permission to go view it. The white cat sighed and told him, that he was free to do so. The young prince noticed that the white cat was saddened by this. The young prince noticed that the young cat was saddened by this, so he did not bring up the topic of the painting. He noticed that the painting looked exactly like him. When the young prince returned to talk to the white cat, they talked about a great many things. The young prince noticed that the white cat was very intelligent and had a lot of views on a lot of topics. After a while, the white cat told the prince that it was time for bed, and she thanked him for all this conversation. The young prince felt the invisible hands guiding him back to his room. There he took a bath and went to bed. He did not sleep well. He spent the night thinking about this white cat and how much he enjoyed the conversations with her. It wasn't long before he was woken up and the white cat came into his room. She asked him if he would like to join in their entertainment. The young prince agreed and was taken down to the gardens. There, there was a wooden horse, which he climbed up onto. There was about 500 other cats, and some of them riding monkeys. And then the white cat told them to release their prey. Thousands of rats and mice were released into the gardens. The cats waited for the order of the white cat to pursue their prey. When she gave it, all the cats and the cats riding monkeys began to chase the rats and the mice. The young prince followed on his wooden horse and had a great deal of fun. Not even the birds were safe from the cats riding monkeys because they could easily climb the trees. After a while, the hunt was over, and the young prince and the white cat came back to the castle. There they ate lunch, and the young prince told the white cat of the mission of his father, the old king. The young prince told the white cat that he was expected to find the perfect dog for his father.
and that if he did, he would become the next king. The white cat listened and told the young prince that he had nothing to fear, that she would help him. After a year of living with the white cat, the white cat reminded the young prince that it was time for him to go home in order to give the dog to the old king. The young prince had completely forgot about his mission because he enjoyed staying with the white cat in her castle this whole time. The white cat then told the young prince that she would give him an acorn and that he was to open the acorn when he was back in his father's land. The young prince thanked the white cat and was guided by the invisible hands and taken to the wooden horse. With the acorn in his pocket, the young prince made it back home before any of the other brothers. The young prince cracked open the acorn and out came a small mutt of a dog. This didn't bother the young prince because he saw the beauty in the dog and saw how loyal it was. Once the other brothers met up with the young prince, they showed each other the dogs that they had received. The other brothers brought pure breeds and well-groomed dogs. When the other brothers saw the young prince's dog, they tried not to laugh. When the young prince was away, they said at least they didn't have to worry about his dog being picked. They believed that there was no way that the old king would take that dog. The three brothers went to the king, and the two older brothers presented their dogs. The old king looked at their dogs and declared that he liked their dogs so much, but he couldn't decide which one he liked better, because they were both equally good. Then the young prince took out his dog, who was filled with dirt and grime, from playing all day. The second the old king saw this dog, he was instantly in love with it. However, though it had been an extra year for the king to have on the throne, he still did not want to retire. So the old king told the brothers that they had all succeeded so well that he could not decide which dog was the better one. The old king then told the three brothers that they must take another year and go in search of a cambric which is a closely woven white linen that was so fine that it could be put through the eye of a small needle. The three brothers knew that this would be very hard and would take them a great deal of effort. The two older brothers split up and took different paths on the road. Then the young prince mounted his wooden horse and traveled very quickly to the castle of the white cat. The second he arrived, the invisible hands helped him off the horse, and once he was safely on the ground, the white cat came out to greet him. They were so happy to be reunited, they went inside and began to eat supper. The young prince at dinner told the white cat all about the trials of the old king. The young prince told her of the dog and how the king liked him the best. The young prince told the white cat that his new task was to find a cambric that was so fine it could be passed through the eye of a needle. The white cat told the young prince that he was in luck, that she had some cat servants that were able to produce such a cloth. After they ate, they had a festival celebrating the return of the young prince, and all the cats and the white cat, as well as the young prince, were happy.
Time went on until it was the day before the three brothers were to return to the old king. Again, the young prince had forgotten about how much time had passed. Again, the white cat reminded him that it was time to leave. At that time, the cat servants brought a large nut to the white cat, who in turn gave it to the young prince. The white cat told the young prince that he was to open the nut in front of the king, and there he would find the cloth so fine that it would be able to go through the needle. Then the invisible hands took the young prince outside, where there was a pair of white horses and a beautiful carriage made up of jewels, gold, and silver. The young prince hopped inside and said goodbye to the white cat, and with that, the horses took off, and the young prince arrived back home. The two other brothers were already there and were waiting for the young prince to present their cambric. The first brother presented his cloth, and it was so fine that everyone thought for sure he would be the one to win the throne from the old king. The old king pulled out his needle and tried to pull the cambric through the eye of the needle, but it could not be done. Then the old king tried the next brother's cambric. It almost went through the eye of the needle, but it still failed. Finally, it was the turn of the young prince. The young prince pulled out the net. Everyone in the room laughed at the young prince. Then the young prince cracked open the net, and inside there was another net, but this time a hazelnut. Then the young prince cracked open the hazelnut, and there was a grain of wheat. Everyone began to laugh at him, including his brothers this time. Even the young prince was getting worried that the white cat had deceived him. But the second he thought this, he could feel the claws of a cat scratch on the back of his leg. The young prince cracked open the grain of wheat, and there at the center was a cambric cloth that was so fine the young prince presented it to the king. And the king took it and placed it through the eye of the needle. The old king knew that the young prince had to be the one that he must give the throne to. This time, the old king told his sons that he would give the kingdom to them, but first they had to find the most beautiful woman, and together, the new king and queen would rule together. Whoever brought back the most beautiful wife would be the king. This time, the king did not set the challenge, because he wanted to be king for another year. He knew that he was getting very old for his responsibilities, this time he gave his challenge, so that he would know that the son who would win would have a good life and continue the family into the future. The three sons again left in all different directions. The young prince got back into the carriage and took off to the white cat's castle. Once there, the young prince told the white cat what his father asked of his brothers. The white cat told him that he was free to stay for the year. The young prince and the white cat enjoyed all the days of the year. Again, it was time to return. This time, the white cat told the young prince that it was up to him and him alone to find a woman. The young cat told the prince that he must cut off her head and her tail and throw them into the fire. The young prince was horrified and refused to do it. 
Then the white cat told him and begged him that he alone must do it. With tears in his eyes, the young prince pulled out his sword and chopped off the head and tail of the cat and threw them into the fire. The second that the head and the tail landed in the fire, out emerged the most beautiful woman. The white cat had become the princess. The princess smiling and to the wonderment and shock of the young prince told him that he must not think that she had always been the white cat and that she was in fact of royal blood. The young prince asked how it was that the princess had become the white cat and the princess told him. She told him that her father was in charge of eight kingdoms and that he loved her mother very much. He often supported her travels to distant lands to learn of other cultures. While she was studying one culture, she found a rumor of a secret land full of fairies. She found the entrance to this place, but she was not allowed to pass the gate. She was pregnant with the princess at the time, but she still desperately wanted to see the fairies. So the queen stayed at the gate until she grew faint from lack of food and passed out. She woke to find an old woman sitting there looking at her. It turned out that this woman was a fairy, and she asked the queen why she stayed there at the gate until she was ill. The queen told her that she very much wanted to enter the land of the fairies and would do anything to do so. The fairies listened to this and told her that they would let no one into their land, but they would let her in and take as much magical fruit as she could transport on one condition. When the queen was to have the child, she would give her to the fairies. There, the fairies would teach her how to be the smartest princess ever to be. The queen agreed to this. The queen called for as many horses with wagons attached to come take the fruit from the fairyland. Once the king returned home, everyone was happy to see her, including the king. The queen brought so much fruit that it was able to last the entire year. She never told the king the price of the fruit, however. Months passed, and soon it was time for the queen to give birth. This time, the queen grew sad and depressed. The king continued to ask why she felt so sad, until one day the queen told him the price that must be paid. They must give their daughter to the fairies. The king was livid, but did not let the queen know. Instead, the king came up with a plan. They would hide the princess in a tower where the fairies would never find her. Once the princess was born, she was immediately hidden. Then the fairies arrived at the kingdom to take the princess, and the king told them that they could not have her. So the fairies released a dragon into the kingdom, and all the crops were destroyed. Soon, everyone began to starve, and still the dragon was destroying buildings and towns. With that, the king decided that he would have to give up his daughter, the princess, in order to save his people from certain death. The princess, the former white cat, told the young prince she grew up only knowing the fairies and that they taught her a great many things. The fairies, however, kept her from meeting any other human, only letting her through the gardens and into their own tower. 
The princess grew up, and one day she saw what she thought was a man. She had never seen another person, so she could not be sure, but she knew she liked him. They talked for some time. The princess in the tower and the man at the fairy gate. Then night came, and the man left. The next day, they would repeat this, and the next. The princess knew that she wanted to meet this man closer, so she asked the fairies, who didn't know of this man, for some rope, so that she would be able to catch birds at the side of her window. The fairies gave her the rope, and instead, the princess created a ladder for the man to come into her room. But when he climbed up, upon seeing him close, she was afraid. She had never seen anyone else. But he was very kind and handsome, and they sat and talked. They talked till the fairies came in and sounded the alarm. Soon all the fairies came into the room trying to kill this man, and the man trying to protect the princess from the fairies, until one of the fairies entered the room with the dragon, and the dragon ate the man. The princess was so sad that she tried to jump into the dragon's mouth so that she would be eaten too. The fairies, however, stopped her because they thought her punishment must be more severe. They told her that she was not born in the fairyland and that her real parents were now dead. Then they said she would be turned into a white cat and the only way that she could be able to be turned back into a human princess again was if a man that looked like the one the dragon ate, came to her house. They fall in love, and he chop off her head and tail and places it in the fire. Then she would become a human again. The princess told the young prince all this, and then told him that they must hurry to the old king and the young prince's home. All the old king's son returned home on the same day, all the couples went to meet with the king. The old king was tired and wasn't sure if he was able to give up his throne. But the princess with the young prince went to speak to the king. She told him that all the sons had found women who would make them happy and should have happy marriages with. She then told the king that she had eight kingdoms and she would give one to each of the brothers of the young prince so that the old king would be able to keep his own and in addition to that, the young prince and the princess would rule over the remaining six kingdoms. The old king was overjoyed with this outcome, and the whole family lived happily to the end of their days.